welcome to the Move Daily Health Podcast, where we share information to empower you to be your own health hero. Welcome back to the Move Daily Health Podcast. I'm Dane Wallace, once again here with the lovely Freya Spence. And as we kicked off this season in episode one, we spoke about our five pillars of health. Today, we're going to dive a little bit deeper into the structured exercise portion of our movement pillar. So we're going to look into a little bit about, you know, what is structured exercise? How much is enough exercise? How does one start? What are the pitfalls? Etc. <laughs> so Freya, structured exercise, how much do we need? <laughs> what is it? What? I have questions. <laughs> so... When we say structured exercise, we're encompassing things like resistance training, um, you know, group fitness classes, any type of, of exercise where you are following, hopefully following some sort of program. Um, you're tracking it, perhaps. So maybe you're tracking progressive runs. Um, it might be aerobic exercise, resistance training, might be a blend of the two, might be more of a like stretching type thing yoga, et cetera. So with that said, most people will be familiar with the recommendations that are put forward by government bodies that promote 150 minutes per week. And they also recommend um, that that 150 minutes is, uh, you know, moderate to vigorous intensity exercise. And once upon a time, uh, it was it was thought that you needed to have at least like 20 minutes of exercise, structured exercise at a time to count towards the total amount of time per week that was advised. That number has since lowered because we do know through other research that, you know, you can do, you can honestly do a form of HIIT training, and we've spoken to um, Martin Gabala on our podcast previously about this, you can do a form of HIIT training with as little as a couple of minutes per day. So we are going to dive into a little bit more detail about what constitutes resistance training, what constitutes aerobic training, uh, where they cross over, the types, the dosages, and then also what happens in the strength and conditioning side of things or the strength world and what happens in the aerobic training side of things in terms of the recommendations those sorts of I'm going to say industries because I believe that that is the most accurate way Mm -hmm. uh, to describe them but they have different recommendations than this 150 minute and ultimately this 150 minute is is not used as a as a gauge of like this is what will make a human body the healthiest possible. It's sort of like a risk-reward thing where we know that uh, you need at least that much as a baseline. But if you're literally starting from zero, we also know that jumping right to 150 minutes would be too much. So we'll be discussing some of the nuance around those guidelines and um, elaborating a little bit more on where you can even start or can change what you're doing, whether you're somebody who gets a lot more than that or, or a lot less. Yeah, and the government guidelines are, I think it's easy for people to brush them off or kind of ignore them if they're, they read about them or their doctor tells them you need 150 hours every week of aerobic exercise. You just said hours. That's a lot. 150 hours. Wow, I'm overtraining. <laughs> Guys, 150 minutes of aerobic like a training. third of your week. Yeah, I'm sweaty. <laughs> <laughs> and sore but all it's, the time. But it's so easy to ignore, A, when you're being told what to do. A lot of people don't like that to begin with. And B, it's of moderate intensity, physical activity. 
it's very wordy for a lot of people. And it's like, well, what, is, what does that truly mean? So to distill it down for people, aerobic activities, again, think about it's your aerobic system. Think about your cardiovascular system. You're working your heart. So if you're getting your heart rate up, then that basically, to me, that's what counts. So walking briskly can count. Going for a jog can count. But for people, it's like, if you distill it down 150 hours and hours, minutes, 150 minutes in a week, 20 to 30 minutes a day of getting your heart rate up in some way, shape, or form. So you can just take that and think, okay, on every day, am I getting my heart rate up or, or working somewhat harder than, you know, sitting around or walking very slowly? Am I doing that every day? And if you're not, that's your baseline. You know you need to kind of pick that up. And one of the things, so aerobic activity um, is something that you can source fairly easily. Sometimes people think that it means they have to pick up running um, or, or some other similar and accessible, like cycling is the other most common one here in, in North America, I would say, that people would uh, attribute to aerobic exercise. But ultimately, like Dane just said, there are a lot of different things that you can do in moving your body that will get your heart rate up. And the reason this is really important is because heart health or a lack of heart health is still one of the leading causes of, of death in uh, North America in particular. I'm not completely sure of the stats around the world, but it is prevalent worldwide. And a lot of people do not challenge their heart and lungs to work at those higher levels that will cause them to sweat or to, to feel their heart rate go up, go up, and that leads to a decline in heart health. Like your heart is a muscle, and we need to train it just like all of our other muscles. And so the reason that recommendation exists is because we know that partaking in regular aerobic activity of any kind that you can access within your environment and with your body does help reduce the incidences of you know cardiovascular problems. To use a very big umbrella term for all of the different things that can come about. So we know that that's one of the key lifestyle factors that can influence someone's long-term health and whether or not they will develop some sort of cardiovascular disease. I, I said this in our, in our last podcast that doing hard things makes everything else in life easier. Avoiding hard things makes easy things harder. And in this case, a lot of for the aging populations, it makes them dangerous because inevitably we run into a stressful situation in life or a situation where we might have to physically work hard or we emotionally, mentally have to work hard. If our heart is not ready for that, as Ray just said, that is when the cardiovascular risk, risk happens. And well, and it's a slow thing over time, Yes. right? So cardiovascular uh, changes don't happen overnight. They happen over a really long period of time. Mm -hmm. And so that's why lifestyle can be so um, beneficial lifestyle changes like including aerobic activity on a regular basis can be so beneficial because a lot of people don't realize they are developing a problem until they have a bigger problem on their hands and and so this is where you know wherever you are in time right now if you are not partaking in any sort of aerobic activity that gets your heart rate up or your breathing rate up it is a good time to start so the earlier you start in life the better, but also it's never too late to start as well. Yeah, and the other thing that's, I think, important that you mentioned is that we used to think it was 20 minutes was a bout of exercise that counted yes. for aerobic, but now we know it's anything. So again, in everyday life, if you walk really fast to go to the bus, for example, 
and that's three minutes. That counts. That's part of your daily intake of aerobic exercise that we know builds that baseline for your heart. So it's, I know this is where structured exercise, you don't have to go to the gym for an hour. It's, this is calculate those moments in the day where you get that heart rate up a little bit. And, and make sure that they're happening consistency, <laughs> consistently, sorry. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, it's not just like that three minute burst to the bus every other day when you're going into, into work. It has to be something that is done consistently for your body to adapt to it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that brings us also to strength training or mm-hmm. resistance training. That's the other part of the recommendation. The recommendation is twice per week um, because we know that that confers advantages to retaining muscle mass and bone mass and uh, potentially overall mobility to help us as we age. That really depends on how you're training because we've seen people uh, who have lost mobility because of the way in which they are strength training. So that one, there's a little bit of a, a, of a catch to it, but we do generally know that you will help stave off muscle loss and bone mass loss, or you'll, you'll, we, we are all going to lose that as we age, but you will certainly slow down that loss process if you are incorporating some kind of resistance training. And if us saying this means you've just pictured the gym, then yes, that is one way in which you can accomplish that, but it is certainly not the only way. Yes. And also, you know, again, sarcopenia, osteoporosis, all these words that doctors may throw at you and that we're talking about right now. Also, just think about quality of life as you age. The stronger you are and the more muscle mass that you have as you age, your, your life is going to be better. You're going to be able to do things independently for as long as possible. So this is where strength training, a lot of people may just have this vision in the head, I don't want to go to the gym, it's for whatever reason. If you don't do something now to increase these metrics of health, down the line, there will be consequences for that. So that is why these are so important, and we talk about them so much. And so it is twice a week, strength training, but you have to look at what your baseline is. Where do you start? Do you have to go to the gym and train for an hour doing bench press and squats? No. <laughs> you can do that, certainly. And uh, before we even go into like how to start, I do want to just touch on, this is something that a lot of people are aware of, um, but sometimes the extremes help us really showcase why something's important. And so if you look at the extremes of astronauts going to space and being without load for depending on how long their mission is, I don't know, a few days or more likely a few weeks or months at a time, by the time they've come back, they've lost a significant amount of muscle mass and bone mass. And so sometimes people will say, oh, well, I don't want to resistance train because I'm afraid I'm going to get hurt. Truthfully, resistance training, like we're about to go into, doesn't mean that you need to go and do the things that maybe elicit more fear in you right now, uh, or ever, really. If you don't want to play with barbells, don't worry about it. There are other ways to to train. And um, not training and not deliberately exposing yourself to load, and load doesn't mean external load. So you moving into a position changes the load on your body. You being exposed to gravity means that you're thankfully always under load. That's why I use the astronauts as an example because they go without load and we see huge changes in their physiology. Now, thankfully, they went into that as healthy and fit as possible because that's part of what allows them to go do the crazy things that they have to do as part of their work. But they have to come back and basically rehabilitate because they are in a very, very deconditioned state. 
because of the loss in load. And this happens when people have prolonged hospital stays as well. And so being really like as fit and healthy as you can be and as strong relative to your own body weight as you can be is what allows you to handle some of the health knocks. You may not be going to space, but maybe you get sick for a couple of weeks. And if you went into that with a healthy baseline, then it helps you pull out of it more easily. So there are a lot of like short-term and long-term benefits. You can make your day-to-day life easier if you have good aerobic capacity and good relative strength to your body, but then long-term you can stave off a lot of other health complications because you're taking care of all of those systems. And so, you know, when it comes to starting, sometimes people will feel a little overwhelmed because they think that it has resistance training has to take place in the gym and then that they have to somehow carve out 150 minutes of additional time in their week that maybe they haven't, you know, really considered before. So like Dane said, you can regularly incorporate intensity into things that you already do and that would count as aerobic work but then there also is a way to blend them and combine them you can train resistance uh sorry you can do resistance training in a way that also elicits an aerobic response like hit training Hit training and lit training. Lit training, baby. L- lit training is low intensity, <laughs> and then hit training is high intensity and interval training. It's interval training, yes, and it can it's specific to the individual. So, uh, high intensity for you might be different than somebody else. Yeah, and so this is where you can think of everything being on a spectrum. So, if you're thinking about where where am I on the spectrum and how do I get started, so I guess first question is, are you an astronaut? Were you just in space? Because that's kind of like bottom of the barrel of where you start. I wouldn't call them bottle <laughs> bottom of the barrel. That's well, when terrible. they come back, when they come back, they're top of the barrel when they leave. Let's say from a conditioning standpoint, they are at their personal Correct. least conditioned state. So for average population who's not highly qualified and heading out to space. You might look at your overall movement dose. I, love how I was kind of making a joke, and you're like, no, we no, have no, to no. back up the astronauts Be here. Be nice. Be nice. Maybe consider, like, how sedentary is your life. Yes, how and sedentary is your life. that tells you how conditioned you how are. How conditioned you are. Exactly. And if you want to get into, you can look at, in terms of physical activity that we do, swimming is another example of a very low-impact activity. So for strength training, if you do, if you swim, for example, that's good for aerobic training, but it's very low impact. So moving, if that's all you do for aerobic training, moving into walking, fast walking is a nice step up to there where now you're going to get a little bit more load on your body that you might not be used to. And you can kind of move up that spectrum to get into body weight exercises. As we said, gravity is a load. So body weight exercises can be something like squats, for example, push-ups, lunges, you can do animal flow, which is something that we love, calisthenics, I'm just going to name things, <laughs> jumping. Okay, you're good, you're good. <laughs> Thanks, Dane. <laughs> I think everybody gets the idea. Yes. <laughs> um, so, did you have another follow-up point to that, or, or were you just going to go down the rabbit hole of listing all? Just sorts listing of body all the weight? things, but no, it, it is. It's just a good to me. It's a good thought process to go into. Like, what are the things I normally expose my body to? How do I increase that gradually, rather than saying, "Oh, I need to do resistance training." My only options are going from doing nothing to 
I need to go into the gym and start training. It says twice a week, I need two hour-long sessions a week of weight training, which to a lot of people is very unappealing for many reasons. A lot of people find the gym, you know, inconvenient or they find it just unappealing or intimidating, expensive. There's all these different reasons. So there are many free ways that you can start to go from doing no structured weight training to kind of ramping that up. Yeah, and when it comes to strength training, you know, we have the the industry of strength training mm-hmm. that actually promotes a very different dose than the 150 minutes and two times a week resistance training that's promoted, um, you know, by health agencies and government bodies to the average population. If you step into the strength training world, um, you'll get a whole mix of things and people will say you need to train anywhere from three to five days a week in order to elicit any sort of strength benefits. Uh, you might see or hear or be told that in order to develop your strength appropriately, you have to deadlift two and a half times your body weight, squat twice your body weight, and press one and a half times your body weight. Uh, and, and so you have to understand the context of you and your life matters immensely, and the context within which those recommendations are made also matters <laughs> immensely. So for somebody who's just starting out with resistance training, if you aim to incorporate a couple of short sessions twice a week, say they're each 20 minutes, you learn how to warm up, you learn a few body weight skills, uh, like Dane said, lunges, maybe some type of pull pattern and and uh, squat or hinge, well, great, like you're already on your way. There is no reason for you to jump into training three to five times a week. And quite frankly, we find that, um, you know, that, that a lot of people who do go and train five times a week in a pure like strength training way now don't have time for some of the aerobic stuff that would help them with their overall health profile. So it depends on what you're trying to do. Are you trying to be a competitive lifter or are you trying to improve your overall health profile and integrate another way of moving that will help you to, to do that? And, and those strength metrics are completely like inappropriate for the average population. You do not need to deadlift two and a half times your body weight. We don't have any research trials to show that that is like what makes you more resilient long term um, that those metrics as far as I can tell are are from you know powerlifting and other competitive strength sports where that's sort of a way to kind of classify y- yourself as a lifter or as a as a baseline because truthfully within those sports y- you will need high numbers like that as a little bit of a base depending on you know we get into weight categories there and the exact type of competition you're in. But for the average person, I mean, we can't say that you need to be able to do that much weight. It's a little silly. And not everyone even needs to do all those patterns with heavy load in any way, shape, or form. Like, I can't say that the bench press is fundamental to life. And I just offended a lot of people by saying that. Maybe. Maybe they're open-minded and they realize it's fundamental to their life, but not to everyone's life, which would be important. It's fundamental for the way I want to look in a shirt. <laughs> Is it, though? It's because not. you could it's accomplish not. that Because how often do I bench? Too. I mean, and even when I was doing strongman, I was doing a lot of overhead pressing, but I didn't do any bench press. The pecs look great, you know? So you don't need bench press. just need lots of log overhead. I'm obviously kidding. 
<laughs> Good. But there's, again, there's a lot of dogma when you start to dive into strength training. Even if you go to a lot of gyms and you ask them, like, oh, how much should I be doing? A lot of times they're going to tell you to do more beyond two times a week. They're not going to go with the minimum effective dose. They're going to want to sell you packages and get you in as much as possible because the, the general idea is that more is going to be better for people, and that's fair. But minimum effective dose is something we talk about a lot, and it's super important when it comes to starting something new, especially regarding the body, so that you don't overtrain, and we'll get into that a little bit. But even within the like bodybuilding community, for example, a lot everyone knows Arnold Schwarzenegger and how he trained, and it was always like six days a week, high, high volume, just basically living in the gym. And that's how bodybuilding gained in popularity and how a lot of those programs are. But there's guys like Mike Menser, who's now he's kind of had a resurgence. He's another old bodybuilder. And his style was trained three days a week, do very little volume, do one or two sets of like very high intensity to failure, and that's your workout. And he had really great results as well. So for every individual, you do want to try and find that minimum effective dose. It's like what Stu Phillips said in our podcast not long ago. It's almost like a sponge if you think about the minimum effective dose. When you dip a sponge into a bucket and you wring it out the first time, the vast majority of the water comes out of the sponge that first time. You wring it out again, significantly less comes out. So with training, that's what you want is that first, that first ring under the sponge is going to give you that vast majority of this benefit. So that two times a week, you want to make sure you wring out that sponge twice a week at the dosage that is appropriate for you, which is starting very small for most people and you can build from there based on your enjoyment basically Mm -hmm. and we focus heavily on education and skill development within our practice and so uh you know most of my clients will know that when when we first start working together we don't cover a whole bunch of exercises all in one go we always lay the foundations and we try to help them become proficient with the pattern which means they understand how to do it on their own right and so if somebody understands how to do a thing on their own it also means that they'll be able to be more consistent with it which then means that we will see more increases um, in you know skill proficiency strength coordination depending on the metrics that that we are actually measuring and so it's a layered approach over time because a lot of people who rush into it and do too much too soon can get hurt it we will talk about overtraining shortly but you know most beginners aren't actually able to overtrain they don't have enough capacity to overtrain but they can overdose one training session like that is hands down mm-hmm. an easy thing to do and so you know if if you're eliciting some soreness some muscle soreness because you're trying new things great if you literally can't walk not great <laughs> you, that was a huge like overdose and then we'll talk about some of the ins and outs of actual overtraining too but and and that I can't walk out of the gym thing like it's almost like a meme online now where people it's it's almost like how far can you push yourself into discomfort like that means you had a good workout and that is such a poor filter to use especially as as somebody who's just started strength training that means that you have overdone it um well and if we're trying to do something consistently and you've overdone it so much that you literally can't do it again for like seven or more days or five or more days. What was the point? Mm-hmm. Like even, you know, bodybuilders who do train, a, well, anywhere from five to seven, six days a week usually, they usually give some rest day to the, their bodies. Sometimes. Some rest days, rest time. That was not grammatically correct, Words. but that's fine. We're going past it. Um, <laughs> they know that like, 
their ability to be consistent and to get more volume into that muscle group within a week time span is really important. So you don't mm-hmm. want to obliterate yourself so much that now you literally can't go and do that thing again for um, an extended period of time because you just won't you won't adapt because you aren't getting the frequent exposure to it. Mm-hmm. And and we see the same kind of dogma and standards within the aerobic community as well. It's not Big just time. at the gym. If you get into running or cycling or rowing or any of these modalities, a lot of times prescription is daily. Like you think you have to push it daily on all of these things. And again, to start out, if you haven't been doing this, that is going to be an incredibly high dosage on your body. And it's unless you're an elite athlete, and again, even elite athletes, a lot of times they shouldn't be or don't be don't train every day. The average person trying to get started, that's so well beyond what what is recommended and what is going to give you the benefit that you're trying to shoot for. Well, and it's about sustainability because somebody might get really excited about a plan that's given to them that does have them training every every day. They're running or maybe they're running six days a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and they might get excited by that and, and go with it for a while. The commitment time, if the program is designed for a a beginner, the commitment time will be relatively low per day, so they think this is feasible. But over time, it it wears down, and that excitement also wears off. And so there is this balance to navigate between, like, needing to get consistency with the dose in order to elicit a desired adaptation. And when you're new, you need smaller doses more frequently. When you're more adapted to something, you will generally be able to handle bigger doses, but less frequently because those bigger doses will necessitate a bigger recovery time. So with that said, you know, a lot of people who are not aiming to be elite athletes uh, are training in aerobic capacities like five, six days a week, and the mileage just climbs, 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 and that's the only thing that people look at from a metric standpoint, and it's, um, it's that's where we see a lot of repetitive uh, strain injuries, we see burnout, we see like a loss of, of joy, mm-hmm. and it also doesn't allow you to do anything else, and it's not necessary. I've trained a lot of endurance athletes, and I will tell you that doing endurance stuff six days a week if you're not like a high 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 level um and even if you are that's that's quite different Mm -hmm. you need to mix in other things in order to make yourself uh, stronger and more Mm -hmm. well-rounded to be able to handle that kind of demand yeah a lot of weight trainers could benefit a lot from adding aerobic training to their modality or to their routine sorry and a lot of you know runner cyclists could really benefit from counterbalance of of doing a little bit of weight training. So when trying to determine this, really just have to go back to the, these main questions: is like, are you competing? Are you training for a specific event? Is this for health? Like, what is your why for what you're doing in the gym right now, or sorry, what you're doing for exercise right now? And is there a way you could maybe optimize that to reach those goals? Yeah, and um, you know, this is again where of all the guidelines out there, you need to then apply your own personal context to it. Mm-hmm. So what's important to you? What are you trying to achieve? What have you done in the past? Uh, what do you hope to do in the future? Like what aspects of your health are you trying to maintain? Uh, which aspects of your health do you have a really good understanding of? And then which ones do you feel like you could learn more about and sort of go from there, which you know brings us into 
reasons as to why we can benefit from incorporating the opposing modality. So if we are already taking part in a lot of like low intensity aerobic activity, it wouldn't be a different modality. It would be that you may need to address some intensity things and learn how to push into sort of a more moderate zone for a while, moderate intensity. It'll make it a little bit harder to talk while you're exercising. Um, you'll sweat a little bit more, that kind of thing. And then if you are also doing a lot of aerobic, this is your time to perhaps explore bringing in more resistance training into the mix. And typically the advice when people are aerobic athletes, meaning endurance athletes, like they're, they're running, you know, whether they're at a competitive level or just doing it because they really enjoy it and they have no interest in taking part in various events or races, doesn't matter. But most of the time, the advice is not to strength, tra strength train and to just increase your adaptation to your sport. But, you know, you go through a really limited range of motion when you're cycling uh, running more range of motion when you're rowing, but it's still really biased range of motion. And um, swimming, like we touched on, actually has a tremendous amount of range of motion at the shoulders, but very low range of motion at the hips uh, for most of the strokes that most like lay people <laughs> will do. So it it does benefit your endeavors, like your athletic endeavors, to incorporate more movement variability, which is done through different types of, of resistance training. And again, resistance doesn't mean that you're holding on to external load. It might mean that, might not mean that. It might just mean that you're putting your body into different shapes mm -hmm. <laughs> and postures and doing repetitions of various exercises there. Yeah, the, so I think back to when I was competing in strongman, and it's like, why would I do something that takes time away from me getting better at my sport and getting stronger. And to me, there are actually, now that I know better, <laughs> there are several reasons for this. One of which is doing the opposite is gonna be counterbalanced to the patterns that you're doing all, of the all the time. So that can both improve your quality of life outside the gym and make you avoid injury, which is going to help you do your sport more. So that applies to both anybody who's like, you know, or somebody who runs all the time, somebody who swims all the time, or somebody who does powerlifting, you get locked into those patterns a lot. Secondly, if you are in endurance, or sorry, in um, strength training, it's always the mantra of like, cardio will kill my gains. This is something that's so popular and we get so afraid that if you do any sort of cardio, your muscle's just gonna waste away off your body and it's going to in impair getting stronger. But that is, again, this is really all about dosage. Yeah, if you're going and running marathons, yeah, you might have a problem. That's probably not going to be a good counterbalance to getting as strong as possible. But if you're incorporating the right dosage of aerobic training, I mean, this actually, getting a little sciencey on this, but regarding mitochondria, which are the powerhouses of all of our cells, aerobic training actually increases mitochondrial density. So the more mitochondria we have, the more ATP we can produce. So therefore, the more strength we can produce. So incorporating a little bit of aerobic training is actually gonna help our muscles be more capable to produce more strength. And so, again, we get locked into all these old school mantras of like, don't do that other thing. You've gotta do the one extreme all the time. And that really does deter and take away from being the best you can be at a sport, both in your strength and then outside the gym, making sure you're not injured. And of course, you know, we see this too in endurance where people don't want to do resistance training because they're afraid it'll make them bulkier or heavier for their sport, which we know is not 
it's, that, again, it's one of those myths where a lot of people doing strength training think that aerobic work will deter their bodies from developing absolute strength, which mm-hmm. really doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would also say that <laughs> it, I'm looking at it from like a, the lens of movement variability through your body and your joints. And if you are only practicing specific lifts all the time, we see this with a lot of people who have only done that. Um, and you look at them walking and we see that the joints are now not really coupling in the way that they normally would um like they've kind of gotten locked into certain ranges but then we also see that with with endurance athletes where it's like we see a reduction in shoulder range of motion i'm not talking about swimming because they typically have wonderful range of motion but um things like cycling and and running and rowing we tend to see like the upper back kind of gets locked into one position they have less scapular stability they have less hip um, extension capacity and it's not that we need to then go work on a ton of mobility or sorry a ton of flexibility training we need to work on mobility and strength and stability through all these ranges that their sport isn't exposing them to just for the sake of their joint health long term so if you want to keep doing your sport longer than adding in Variability is is hugely advantageous, as Dane mentioned, on a cellular level, on a mitochondrial level, but then also from like just a, a tissue level. Like your tissue will be so much healthier if you are able to interject other modalities, yeah. other than like your favorite one. Yeah, and so while this is very glaring for the kind of competitive athlete population, distill that all of that information right back down to somebody who doesn't compete in a sport, who just wants to be healthy or maybe gain a little bit of muscle or feel better, be able to do things, you know, go up a flight of stairs without being, you know, very winded by it. All of this still applies, doing a little bit of both, strengthening both your musculature and your body and your joints and your heart and your, (laughs) I was going to say blood vessels, I'm like cardio, respiratory system, like all of these things, they're going to make you the most well-rounded, healthy person and able to do all these things as as you age and get older. And so this kind of takes us into the pitfalls kind of section. Um, doing too much. There's overtraining. There's also undertraining, but overtraining, yeah, doing too much is a very big problem. And injuries are the number one thing that come about when people do too much too soon or they've been doing the same thing repetitively for too long without that counterbalance. We see injuries of all sorts, a lot of soft tissue injuries, uh, joint injuries, you name it. So that's one of the biggest pitfalls. Yeah, so uh, this is the interesting thing is that, like, (laughs) you can not do any activity, structured activity. You can stay in low-intensity activities all the time and never, you know, migrate into more moderate or vigorous stuff and still get injured Mm -hmm. and still get injuries, um, you know, whether they're joint-related or more in terms of your soft tissues like tendon tears, that kind of thing. You can still get those because... You can you can get them if you're deconditioned, um, or and like living a more sedentary lifestyle, or you can get them if you're overtraining. Again, it comes down to like the person who's deconditioned and living a more sedentary lifestyle. Um, when it comes down to that sort of physiological profile, that's one that is more prone to to injury from seemingly innocuous tasks. 
Um, like all I did was bend down and pick that thing up. Um, but then on the flip side, so they haven't elicited enough stress in their system to adapt tissues to be able to handle variable loads that they encounter day to day over time. And then on the other side of things where somebody is training a lot, their tissues have perhaps not had enough variability. So we see repetitive strain injuries come up and you know we've seen this it's not to pick on the sport but we see this a lot in powerlifting mm -hmm. because they focus primarily on three uh, key movement patterns and we see tenderness injuries come about at the shoulder at the knee at the low back like it's it's fairly predictable um low back is less tenderness and more disc related but you get the idea they don't have enough recovery or enough variability. So those are the two things. It's like the variability can come about, hopefully by now you see that the variability can come about in a number of different ways, uh, whether it's interjecting more aerobic work or just like different positions, postures, and exercise within the resistance training world. Um, and then enough recovery time. And recovery is sort of, uh, is something that we'll talk about later on another podcast, but it is an active process. So sleep is part of it, but then, Recovery might mean active recovery, like you're a powerlifter and you decide to go for a swim once a week as a way of like unloading your body a little bit and challenging your aerobic system. Uh, the worse you are at swimming, the more of a cardiovascular <laughs> response you'll get, as we have found. Mm -hmm. But the point is, it's like the person who is not stressing their system very often needs to strategically start stressing their system in order to reduce the incidents or severity of injuries and and health events the person who is stressing their system quite a bit needs to either look at adding more variability to what they're doing or to and or to increasing the amount of time they spend uh recovering like actively recovering from their endeavors in, in a nutshell the key is to avoid both ends of the extreme doing nothing and then ramping into something weights way too much really quickly not great. Doing too much of the same thing over and over and over again, not great. So those are the two. That's really the, the, the main overriding point here is if you avoid those extremes, you're going to be in, in a healthy place. And I say this regarding nutrition, regarding anything in life, like living in the gray, living in the middle, that is where the magic is. It's staying away from those major extremes. That's where you get in trouble. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people will uh, who, do, who don't necessarily train often – will uh, perhaps be a little bit fearful mm. of partaking in structured exercise because they see articles about like heart problems from people who are running a marathon and suffered a cardiac event. And it is true, those things can occur and it's un obviously uh, horribly tragic when they do if it, if it is not something that was able to be um, addressed. And they're not wrong in the sense that, like, the people who are afraid are not wrong in the sense that if you overdo one thing that's, like, a lot of, of uh, cardiovascular work for a really long time, um, and that's relative to the individual, we do know that there is a point of diminishing returns and more isn't better. We do know that. Uh, not that many people are pushing into that realm, thankfully, but we do know that it exists. So there is a point at which like an individual will no longer gain 
whether it's strength or aerobic, well, it'd be more aerobic stuff in this mm -hmm. case, but they won't gain benefits from those endeavors because they're just going past the point at which their body can recover from it or past the point at which their physiology is okay going. And this is, again, where paying attention to things like burnout and, and making sure that you have good variability um, is, is really important. And burnout comes in many but there are some telltale things. One, in endurance, you'll tend to notice that you're like forcing the mileage. Um, it's it's really difficult. You have to like really mentally coax yourself in ways that you didn't have to previously. Uh, you might notice that you're sleeping really poorly, and this is for strength and endurance alike. Your sleep has uh, gotten worse. You might notice in um, the context of strength that your weights, like your absolute weights, or even just you know, the weights that you were doing easily for 12 repetitions are now feeling hard or are not possible. With endurance, again, you might notice, I mentioned the mileage, but you might also notice speed is going down. And most people, when those things happen, they think that they need to do more because they're like, oh, I'm clearly not pushing it hard enough. And really the opposite is true because in somebody who is doing a lot, burnout is performance steadily slowly dropping mm -hmm. off and people think it's their fault people think it's a character flaw yeah right again this is kind of that extreme mentality that we're told like hey i'm just not working hard enough right it's you take it with strength or endurance or even weight loss as another as another thing we always think it's a character flaw it's not something is off with our process which is almost always what we find <laughs> And the funny thing that you mentioned uh, that I wanted to touch base on that you mentioned a few minutes ago was you people will be afraid of exercise when they read that article that somebody had a heart attack after doing this athletic thing. And it's this big deal and everyone gets afraid. We never read articles about the sedentary guy who had a heart attack doing nothing. Or pooping. Or pooping or sleeping, which happens all the time because that is what is expected of that population. Right? So, again, this is where in the media we might read things that are like these super rare occasions where something bad happened with somebody doing something that could be really perceived as like a healthy behavior. And we're like, oh, I can't do that healthy behavior. But they never talk about all the all bad stuff that happens on the regular to the sedentary population because it's normal and that's what's expected. So you really have to watch. Like when I'm, If you get afraid of something, ask, okay, is this validated based on what I'm reading, or is this like kind of fear-mongering to get, you know, clicks on a, on an article? Mm -hmm. Well, and, and, you know, is it validated in the context of, of you and what you're doing with your body, right? Yeah. You don't need to stop going for a run just because, you know, you're running 5k a few times a week and you're enjoying it. And now you're afraid about, you're afraid of your heart health. Like it's, it is different. We, we know, uh, there are certain conditions that come with there are certain sort of physical conditions that come with like a predisposition for heart problems. And um, that's why some athletes or I think all D1 athletes in the States and perhaps other levels uh, are screened for, for LVH, left ventricular hypertrophy and other uh, heart conditions to make sure that the intensive training that they're about to go into will not elicit a negative response. But for the average person by and large <laughs> incorporating resistance and aerobic training um is is validated and safe um and you know it it also just requires context in the sense that did you just jump off the couch and start 
deadlifting and now you're deadlifting 200 pounds within four weeks, then yeah, you're, you're winding up for an injury because you got newbie gains and you might be super excited about it, but your tendons and ligaments are not adapted in the way they should. And, and yes, that is a more predictable pathway to an injury for sure. than if you're, you know, starting with body weight, you get some education on how you're moving and you decide that that is still a a pattern and a load that you want to take on. Fantastic. But it should be a, a lot, lot slower. So we can look at, a lot of different factors and predict to some degree who is at more risk and if you know that you have a pre-existing condition that's of course something that if you're working with a professional they are educated on and need to take into account Um, and your doctor of course would also give you guidelines but by and large exercise is safe and encouraged (laughs) yeah and I guess this is a good place to kind of recap an appropriate dose it's like how do we know what is an appropriate dose right so we've mentioned this, we had this question earlier, just what is your baseline? As an individual, you have to know where am I starting? That is how you determine what is appropriate to move forward with. And so always starting small is the key from your baseline. It's not just go online and buy a plan that's generic for everyone or go to the gym and just start doing what you heard. Oh, uh, bodybuilders train six days a week, so I should do that too. Start very small increase what you're doing remember the guidelines of 150 minutes uh, <laughs> a week of aerobic and two strength training bouts of some description and go from there so look at what you're already doing and see how you can maybe just change the intensity so make something a little bit harder that you've already been doing or increase the time of something that you've already been doing and if you haven't really been doing much Think of something new that appeals to you and be like, how can I make 10 minutes for this today? And start building up to where you're getting close to those guidelines or you're within those guidelines and see how manageable that is and try and make that sustainable over time based on uh, your enjoyment. And, you know, if you're if you are already taking part in a lot of things and you're still just trying to improve how you feel in your body joint wise or improve your overall health baseline it could be a matter of just switching things up if you've been doing things a certain way for a long period of time it is we encourage you to switch things up so if you're running uh, a few times a week and you typically take the same route it's worth your while to try to change up one or two of those days and find a new route to explore because that alone changes the effects on your body uh, from you know a mental standpoint you gain more interest in what you're doing all over again and uh, if you switch up terrain so if you go from like concrete running to running on dirt trails or on the boulevard depending on what's available to you in your city that changes the effect at the body significantly so you're all of a sudden, like you're doing the same thing in terms of the amount of time spent doing it, but all of a sudden you change the benefits at the level of your brain and your body. And if it comes to resistance training and you've been doing things a certain way for a long period of time, sometimes change feels a little hard because you're like, oh, but I, I know that this gave me the aesthetic that I wanted or like this is what I know. Well, learning new things also helps us with cognition, but it also makes sure that we don't succumb to repetitive strain from doing those exercises in the exact same way uh, for too long, thus limiting the other ranges of motion that 
we're not exposed to. So it, again, it doesn't have to be this whole new time commitment. Uh, it, it's a matter of just like learning a new thing, <laughs> trying a new thing, and you'll notice that your body will will adapt and adjust. Yeah, and some of the, the latest research on weight training also does tell us that hypertrophy, so building muscle and strength, can be achieved through light weights or heavy weights. So you don't have to say, oh, I have to lift you know, under five reps really heavy to get the results I want, or I have to lift really high reps to get the results I want. All that really matters when it comes to weight training is that you're pushing yourself to exertion. And a lot of times, if you want to like achieve hypertrophy, go to the point where you almost feel like you can't do another rep, like push yourself to that level of exertion and you will have achieved what you want or the benefit of that. So it's nice to know that we're not stuck within these old methodologies of ranges of strength is under five reps and hypertrophy is eight to 12 reps. Muscular endurance is, what did I say? Muscular? Muscular endurance is over 15 reps. There's a lot more variability now. So if you don't find certain rep, rep ranges enjoyable, try another one. If you don't love barbells, use dumbbells, kettlebells. You just, just use body weights. Mix it up and try to learn a new skill that you might not, not, might, might not yet have. There you go. My headset was falling off. I got super distracted. Uh, I will also say that we don't lose strength as quickly, and I know we've touched on this before, but it's worth repeating. A lot of people who've been doing resistance training of some kind for a while will be very afraid of losing the strength that they've gained when they're sick and or when they're on vacation. And it, when they're on vacation, it's not a big deal. Like, sure, go fit a workout in, no problem. Um, but when they're sick, a lot of people will push into that um, and, and they'll try to get back to the gym too soon while they're still symptomatic or maybe their symptoms have dissipated, but their energy's gone. We don't lose strength very quickly at all. <laughs> In fact, sometimes you can benefit from taking a prolonged deload because you come back and you're actually stronger. And that's happened more times than I care to count for myself and I know for Dane, where we took time off, not intentionally, just because like sickness happened or sickness plus life happened. And we come back, we're like, okay, time to rebuild. The one thing that does have to change is you can't do the same volume you did before. But you might notice that the strength feels like it's still intact and still there. And that's because we know that even just once a week helps you maintain strength. And if you're sick, less than once a week, i.e. zero times per week, is imperative so that you can fully recover. But we do know there's been research done in, in people who are, you know, not high-performance athletes, you know, your average person who is familiar with training, has been strength training, they can maintain their strength with just once a week during those times where, you know, life is really busy. And maybe when you're on vacation, you want to go surfing instead or hiking. Like, please do those instead of investing a ton of time in the gym that takes away from your experience in another environment. It's good to have breaks from that. Aerobic training definitely um, depletes faster, but you know, you've just gotta be patient with the regain um, and not force it when mm -hmm. sickness is present. Yep. And finally, before we wrap up today, I just wanted to <coughs> make a quick little note on weight loss because a lot of people are looking for like the best weight loss plan. What should I be doing? A lot of people rely on countless hours of cardio. They think cardio is the way to lose weight. Other people think, oh, I need to go to the gym and build muscle, and that's what's going to help me lose weight. At the end of the day, 
there's no one plan for any person. What matters most, if you want to maintain a healthy body weight over time, and look, I'm not talking about crash dieting. Crash dieting is not a thing I'm ever going to recommend to everyone because we know the research on crash dieting and yo-yo dieting is very bad for long-term health and long-term weight management. So for sustainable weight loss to get to a body weight that your body wants to be at, what matters more than anything is to incorporate more daily movement into your life. So it goes back to the very beginning of this podcast to say, what am I actually doing now that's of moderate intensity activity, and how do I do a little bit more of that? How do I make sure I'm doing that consistently and getting into that 150 hours or more, 150 hours or more, every time, 150 minutes or more of aerobic activity every week? Freya's not going to let me live this one down. It's great. But it's that daily piece that is most important to set that baseline so you're consistent with that every, every day, every week. That sets the baseline for your metabolic health, overall health, so that your body weight has a set point that's going to be appropriate. And then from there, it's what's fun? How can you move your body in ways that you enjoy? Because if you don't love the gym or you don't love running, there's, nobody says you have to do any of these things. If you find something that makes you move your body every week, it makes you get your heart rate up, it makes you sweat, and you find joy in that, that's going to decrease your overall stress and increase your overall energy output, which is the recipe we need for sustained overall weight loss. Of course, there is you know, sleep, nutrition, all these pieces go into weight loss. But when it comes to movement and exercise specifically, there is no one term. So start small, look what you're doing, start small. If you're having a hard time being consistent or getting into something, get a friend to join a class with you or go for a run with them or, or a brisk walk, whatever, again, you find enjoyable. But if you have somebody to do it with, there's accountability involved, community involved, which is another pillar of health, and that will help you stay consistent. So the best plan is whatever you will do most consistency, consistently. So you really do have to think, what do I enjoy What's something where I can move my body and I look forward to it every week? Because when you find that, it really becomes part of who you are in your lifestyle. And that's what's going to help you maintain a healthy body and healthy body weight over time. And, uh, you know, if, if, if when in doubt, if you're at a stalemate uh, in terms of your own interest, whether you're concerned about body weight or not, revisit your goals and what you're trying to achieve. Revisit things that... Um, been doing for a really long time that maybe you just aren't finding joy in anymore get a coach work with someone to learn a new thing uh there are a lot of people who say oh well I've tried everything I don't think so you've tried you've tried all the things you know about (laughs) um sometimes you know speaking to friends or hiring a coach can expose you to new ideas I know for the longest time uh you know I I did run but then when I could no longer did do that that's not the only way to elicit an aerobic and cardiovascular response I like cycling other people don't but I started swimming and I started cycling more but then I also found that walking at a really good clip when I checked heart rate um, like heart rate peaks and stuff or the overall trend I was able to hit a fairly high percentage of my heart rate max when walking at a really good clip. It's a full body thing. So it kind of highlights that um, if you feel like you think there's only one way to accomplish something, whether it's a strength gain or uh, aerobic capacity, then it's time to consult someone because 
generally, I, I've just found through all of my various like health troubleshooting over the years, there are so many ways in which to move. And that's partly why we have each studied so many different ways of moving because we know that the things that interest one client won't interest another one, and that's okay. Uh, there are a lot of different ways in which you can maintain or improve your overall health or get yourself out of sort of like a stalemate. I found that when lifting, I'd been doing, uh, I'd been following a very similar approach for like five or six years. Yes, there was a lot of variability, but I found that I really needed to to shake it up because my joints weren't feeling awesome anymore and I also found that my energy was really depleted from the fact that I had really really uh, long days and I realized oh you know what trying to fit in like 90 to 120 minute workouts just to get my strength training in is no longer helping me it's hurting me so I needed to just change it change the way I ordered things it meant um, in terms of how I placed the exercises within my time I increased um the sort of intensity of some parts of it but overall like Dana and I have found oh wow we we got everything done in 30 minutes today because that hit all of the checkboxes of what we needed to take care of wanted to take care of and you there's no like I should do this yes if you would like to take care of your heart and take care of your you know your lungs your vasculature your muscles then yes you probably should do some form of aerobic training and yes you probably should do some form of resistance training but the way in which that plays out at different phases of your life can change dramatically and um you know we encourage people to keep like dane said find something that makes you feel playful or find something that helps you find joy and I know that initially if you're trying something new and you've never done resistance training before you might feel awkward or you might feel like you just don't particularly enjoy it at first because you're in the learning process but be really patient with yourself try a bunch of different things and see what does create that spark it might be that you do better in a group environment than solo and that's okay whatever will create some consistency is good yeah be curious be curious about new things and what you might enjoy be curious about what might challenge you it's if you curiosity is something that goes a really long way when it comes to health because when we get into judgments and just write things off without ever trying them then we take ourselves out of that learning sphere and learning environment and that's where stagnation does occur so being curious about things and Again, working on that mentality of, of how, what is your relationship with challenging things, right? Are you willing to go into something that challenges you a bit more? Because if you can embrace that a little bit more, it's going to go a really long way. And I think that's a great place to wrap this one up, Freya. So, uh, yeah, we recapped a lot about aerobic training and resistance training and how to incorporate this into your daily life and why it's important. This is a hallmark of Move Daily the name of our company so that makes uh, a, a lot of things very clear very quickly and yeah we're going to continue on this train throughout this this season we're going to bring on some researchers to really go deeper into a lot of these topics so hang in there with us we hope you enjoyed today's podcast and we will see you next time on the move daily health podcast and i always forget to say please go online to our website at movewelldaily.com and you can also find us on instagram at move underscore daily underscore eds Thanks again. We'll see you next time. We hope you enjoyed our conversation. 
To hear more, head on over to Stitcher or iTunes and subscribe to the Move Daily Health Podcast. And don't hesitate to leave us a review. Thanks for listening.